June 27, 2021. Graduation Weekend 2021. Church, would you join me in prayer? Lord, thank you that your love awakens our hearts and minds to what you're doing among us. I pray that as we continue in worship, your presence would be felt in this place and that we'd be attentive to what your spirit is doing among us. We pray all this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Church, you may have a seat. Well, if we haven't met yet, my name is Pastor Cable Carr, and I am the middle school pastor here at Watermark Wesleyan, and I work alongside Marshall Brady, who is our high school pastor, and we have the joy and privilege of working with your students, and they are incredible. But today, we have set aside a Sunday morning to, to celebrate this generation, but also celebrate our graduates in the room, because we didn't know it's graduation season again. So we could give a round of applause to all the seniors who finished high school this year. You have accomplished so much this year in a year that looked different than any of our high school experiences. You persevered through hybrid school, through, through going to school when you weren't supposed to be, and then when you were, and back and forth, and with teachers who all had different things going on in COVID, we are amazed at your perseverance. So congratulations, graduates. And parents in the room, thank you. Thank you for raising such an incredible group of children. Thank you for the work you've put in and loving them and caring for them and working with them. We know that you've been behind the scenes with these students that we've worked with, so thank you so much for what you've been doing to raise up a generation who love Jesus. You are incredible. And to the teachers in the room as well. You have done far more than any of us could imagine this year working. Can we give teachers a round of applause and parents? Graduation is this moment in life that, that really affects everybody, whether or not we realize it. Because parents are saying goodbye to students, students are about to transition to a new phase of life where things will be different. You're entering the workforce, you're going to school, maybe you're gonna travel. Your, your relationship with your family is gonna be different and the workforce in the area will be different because new people will enter it, some will leave and move to college, some will never move back, I'm sorry to scare you all. Some, some will come back and some will live in your basement forever, you just don't know. Things are gonna change. And society feels that change every year as a new group of students moves up, as they step into adulthood. Everybody goes through moments like this, these landmark moments that you know something's changed in life. I remember my graduation from high school. I went to a small school called Avoca Central School. This is my beautiful grad cap. And my wife told me I'm supposed to put the tassel on the left, so I'm gonna make sure that happens. But I went to a small school. It was a public school called Avoca Central School and we had 28 students graduate. It was a public school. I know, that's shocking. And when I graduated, I didn't know that life was gonna look different, but I remember it being a moment when everything shifted. I remember walking away from graduation. It was one of the moments in life that you could feel something changed. Like, I walked out of the doors of the school building and looked back and said, I'm not walking back in there. I could feel the change in life. And that might be different for all of you. Maybe it was other experiences like your first time walking onto college campus. I know for myself, I walked onto college campus, didn't know that my name would change from Caleb to Cable, but it did. I have forever since from college been Cable. 
And my whole identity shifted, my life shifted. And I spent three years living in a dorm called Hodson Hall. I'm sorry, Residence Hall. My, my college was big on residence halls, not dorms. And so I lived in Hodson Hall, and I was the chaplain there for two years, which meant I spent time serving this, the men who lived there, taking care of them spiritually, pastoring them. And, and let me be real, it was a hard season of life for me. But I remember all of us in college were searching for new things, and we were all trying to discover who we were. And maybe you remember that experience or your first job or that first transition. And you started to step into adulthood a little bit. Life changed, and, and that was a moment in life that you'll look back on forever, that, that changed things in your life. It was a moment that, that adjusted things in your rearview mirror, rear mirror as you move forward. Or I spent time living abroad in Israel for a summer. And when I was there... My whole life changed. You can't go live in another culture and not have life change. I mean, experiencing what another people do, living for a few weeks in Palestine, experiencing what was happening in the Holy Land, it was transformative for my life. And if you ever moved, you moved jobs, you moved locations, you moved towns, you moved across the ocean, wherever it was, you experienced a life change that you can look back on and say, yeah, my whole life changed because your friends changed, the people you live by changed, the neighbors you've known your whole life changed. Life changed in that moment. There was a landmark that you can point to and say, yeah, things shifted. And in my life, the next one, after I went, graduated and went to college and then studied abroad was, was marriage. Right? Marriage is a moment you can point to and say life changed. For one, you get a permanent roommate that you have to learn how to live with. And I've enjoyed living with my roommate personally. I hope you all get along with your roommates. But we bought this hat on my honeymoon and... I don't think anything teaches self-sacrifice quite like getting married and spending those first few weeks learning, like, does the toilet paper go over or under? Um, do we turn the lights off when we leave a room, honey? Or um, why is your underwear still on the floor? Like, it does not belong there. These are moments that you learn the real self-sacrifice of life. And things change in your life. You look at it and say, I'm not the same person I was when I got married. Because that person shifted my life. They changed it. They transformed it. They spent time working with me. And now I'm coming to the biggest shift in my life, and maybe for many of you, as you look at graduation, it's been a major one for you, but I'm gonna be a dad this October. And that has changed my whole outlook on life. The way I look at what's next in my life is changing, because it's not just about myself, it's not about my wife, but we're caring about this little baby boy who's going to join us in October. And that means my life is no longer about myself or about even what I want to do in life, but it's about what's good for him and what his future is, just like you parents have worked for all these years towards graduation. Life is full of transitions. We live in transition as a society. And none was maybe bigger than this last year that we all experienced with COVID and the changes that occurred weekly, hourly, transforming our lives. And we see those same shifts actually in scripture. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Joel, the book of Joel, the prophet. We're going to learn a little bit from him today. Because he wrote about a major transition in the history of Israel. And I think we'll find that to be really relatable to us today. In the book of Joel, we read about a plague that came into the land. See, Joel is a minor prophet, which means not that his message was minor or unimportant, but it was meant that he only wrote three chapters. We have a little book by him. So he's minor. But in that book, he spoke into the life of the listener. He spoke to them and said, there's things that are important that we need to learn. There's things that matter. 
Because prophecy in the Bible, when you go and open Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel or these other books, we often say, what is the future event this is talking about? What's going to happen next in the story? But so often it spoke to the immediate need of the listener. It spoke to what was going on. It was saying, God is still with you in this situation. God's not done yet. You are going through a life transition. You're going through something that's hard as a society, as a culture, but God's not abandoning you yet. The name Joel literally means Yahweh is God. And he wrote that book to remind the people that he was God in the midst of trial, in the midst of transition, in the midst of pain. You see, the purpose of biblical prophecy is so much less about foretelling future events and looking to a crystal ball about the future. It's so much more about speaking truth and justice and calling out sin in the life of the listener, calling them back to God. That's the purpose of biblical prophecy when we read it in scripture. And so when we come to Joel chapter one, and it starts in verse two, we should listen. It says this, hear this, you elders, listen, all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors? Tell it to your children and let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. After the cutting locust finished eating the crops, the swarming locust took what was left. And after them came the hopping locust and then the stripping locust too. You see, in Joel's time, there was a plague of locusts. Some scholars think that this was actually representative of an army coming in and destroying the land. Others believe it was literal locusts. But either way, something shifted in a plague-like fashion that changed their whole society. There was nothing left. There was no food. There was no resources. They had nothing to survive on. And so when Joel was writing this, he was writing to a people that had a culture-shifting moment, a transition that would be remembered for generations, which is why he says, tell it to your children and your children's children. And in our lives, I think the, the pandemic that we've experienced mirrors this book so well because we've experienced a culture-shifting moment. History books will remember 2020. They'll remember the beginning of 2021. They'll remember what we've experienced over this time. Our children's children will learn about this year in their classes. They'll learn about the events that surrounded COVID and the racial tensions that happened that summer and everything else that occurred because it was a life transitioning moment. It's something that's going to be told to our children's children. But in the midst of this, I think we've all wrestled with what's occurring to the young people in the world. They've been stuck inside for a year or so. Their, their lives have been different. And more than one parent has come to me in concern about that. And more than one person has come to me concerned, just forget about COVID, about this generation. I mean, I'm sure you all have seen Facebook posts. Maybe we're guilty of it ourselves, posting something about this generation, about their, their insensitivity to the older generation or their sensitivity about other issues or about the cultural shifts that are occurring, the over-sexualization of this group or the, the biblical illiteracy or some other issue that this generation is feeling. It's hard to, for many of us to look at this generation with a lot of hope. Because we not just have had a culture-shifting event for the last year, but over the last 20 or 30 years. And we look at this generation and say, what is God going to do with this? And Marshall and I have the privilege of working with your students, and we have had long talks about this. And the honest truth is we see so much immense hope and potential in the future of this church and in the future of the church because of this generation. And I think the prophet Joel would agree. So turn in your Bibles to Joel chapter two, because he shifts his whole writing partway through Joel chapter two. He's writing about the pain and the suffering all the way up through. And then partway through, he, he has this transition in his writing, this change where he starts talking about hope, but what's next? But what God is gonna bring out of this. And it culminates in verse 28. It says, and afterward, 
I, this is God speaking, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy and your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and on women, I'll pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there'll be deliverance as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. You see, Joel was saying to the people then, through the Holy Spirit speaking through him, that there would be a generation coming out of this plague. There'd be a generation moving forward, a group of survivors, and they would be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we see this event occur later, not just after Joel and the, and the plague that occurred, but later at the moment of Pentecost, which we read about in our Unstoppable series. We read about this moment when the Holy Spirit came down in tongues of fire and changed the world, when, when there was a transition where the, the people of God now had God's self indwelling them. God blessed them and allowed them to live out a life that was different because he himself lived with them in the Pentecost moment. And we look at that at the church and see God's spirit poured out in blessing and abundance. When you read the word, pour, the words poured out in scripture, circle them. Because they're not just meaning poured out in that moment, but there's a sense of blessing and anointing that's occurring. That God's abundance is being settled on something. That there's no scarcity of this thing, but God is actually pouring in excess on people. Like a waterfall falling down on us if we were under it, or somebody dumping a bucket of water over your head. The Holy Spirit descends and transforms when it meets people. And when we read about the Holy Spirit being poured out, it's on all people. It says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy and your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit in those days. And the truth of this passage is God has never failed to pass on his spirit or his message to a new generation. There has always been a generation of people rising up in hope, in goodness, in the work of the Lord, no matter when you look in history. We might be in dark times, but God isn't done working among us. And in the past 2,000 years, he continues to pour out his spirit. And the good news is, there's no such thing as a junior Holy Spirit. And so your students, your children, our students, our graduates, all the young people in the room are anointed by God to carry out the work of his kingdom. Young people, you're the church. Not 20 years from now, not when you graduate, not when someone hands you a diploma. You're the church today. You were the church yesterday. You have been called by God to serve him today. And that's what fills Marshall and I with hope, is that we have people who are carrying the banner of God's message forward. We have the city on the hill living among us, and it's our students. It's the people living in this room. It's the people in your homes. And they have the power to disciple others, to call people to holiness, to deliver salvation to them, to call them into living in the love of God. And we get to help them do that. That's our young people. There's so many good things happening in this generation. According to a survey in 2016, teen birth rates are down 40% in the last 10 years. And actually, teens who engage in sexual activity before marriage is down 13%. They're listening to us. Do you know teens who have abused drug and alcohol has decreased by 38% in the last 10 years? 38% fewer teens are abusing drugs and alcohol while they're in their teenage years. 
These trends are exciting, but nothing is more exciting than saying we had over 30 children, teens, and young adults be baptized last week. 30. Our younger generation was the largest demographic, largest demographic that was baptized last week. God isn't done working in this generation. He's doing incredible things. And it says, on my young men and on my young women, they will prophesy. They will speak truth. Like I said, the purpose of biblical prophecy is not forecasting future events. It's speaking truth. It's speaking into the life of the listener. And it says they will do that. They live in a post-Pentecost world where the Holy Spirit has given them the gifts of the Spirit where they're called to live out the fruit of the spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. They're people of faith, hope, and love. They're people of hope, healing, and grace now. Not 10 years from now, but our students and our children have the ability to do that now. But I want to pause because this promise isn't just for young people. It's for all people. Verse 28 says old men. Verse 29 includes slaves, both men and women. It was a culture-shifting moment because before, only the men of the culture were to carry the message of God. And we saw a few instances where that was different, like Deborah and some others. But before that, it was just the men. But here we read about young men and young women. We read about old men who are past their prime. We read about both slaves, male and female. The Holy Spirit changes everything. And it's not just for our students, though I want you to hear that message, students. It's for everybody in this room that we can look at the future with hope, that we can look at what's coming next with a desire to follow God into it because God is not done working among us. You see, when we, when we look at this, we can say that we are looking at the hope of the future, that we can be a church of hope, healing, and grace for generations to come. That's our mission statement as a church, our dream as a church. It's not the American dream. It's not some house with a white picket fence. It's not some, some group of people who are so insular that they can't look outward. It's not that we can have all the money in the world, though those things aren't bad. It's that we can have a church for generations to come. And so we can have a church that's for our grandkids' grandkids. That the seniors in this room would have kids who come back. That we have a church that looks to what's next and not what's behind. The problem is as we age, we, we sometimes have a difficult time doing that. I've even started noticing it in myself, like trying to learn a new board game is difficult for me right now. And I'm like, what is going on? I thought games were easy to learn, but I'm learning, I don't like learning new things. I don't like changing sometimes. A project in Marin, Indiana found that as we age, it's called the Sincera Project, our ability to imagine is reduced by 90% as we enter the third third of our lives. Our ability to see what's next, to imagine and fabricate future events in our minds. A similar study by Harvard University found that, that as we age and as we enter the third third of our lives, our ability to create what's next in our minds and see the future of and imagine it is reduced. That we actually have to use past events in our lives to imagine what could be. And that's not to, to limit us. That's not to say we can't look at the future with hope, but that's to say we have a harder time as we age doing that. But the thing about God's work is he's not ever done. And there's the ability within us to see the future and step into it, to look beyond ourselves, to say, what could we be today and what could we be tomorrow and what could we be after I'm gone? There's a, a poem by Archbishop Oscar Romero. It's called Prophets of a Future Not Our Own. And I'm gonna read just an excerpt from it. It says this, this is what we are about. We plant seeds that will one day grow. 
We water seeds already planted, not knowing what the future, what they, that they hold future promise. We lay foundations that will need further development, and we provide yeast that produces far beyond our own capabilities. What Oscar Romero was saying is that it might, our work might extend beyond our own lives. We might be working on people that somebody else worked on before us, that the teachers and the parents in this room have worked on and then I get to work with. I might be getting to share the good news of God for the first time with a student and somebody else might water those seeds. Some of us might be working with people that others will work with 20 years from now after we're gone. We might be working with children today that in 30 years will be affecting people born that we will never know. It's beyond ourselves. We have to think about that. We have to think about generations to come, about what could be in our church. We have to dream the dreams of God again. And, and as we transition through these life moments, as life changes us, as we get married, as we have kids, as we go through divorces, as we have deaths in our family, as children of ours maybe pass away or things happen, our ability to see what's next changes. But God's mission has not changed in those moments. Our position in that mission might have changed. God's mission to love the world, to call people to be disciples hasn't changed. We are still called to do that. Our purpose in that might have shifted. Our part in that might have shifted as everything in life shifts around us. I'm feeling that as a dad, as, as a soon-to-be dad. My position in life is changing. My first allegiance is going to be not just to my wife, but also to this child. And I need to care about him, to disciple him, to see him grow up in the ways of God. And before I was worrying just about your families, and I love your families and working with them. And now it's going to be about my family too. See, our position in life changes. It changes how we see the mission of God, though the mission is the same. And God calls all of us to do this. It says that in verse 32, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion in Jerusalem, there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. Through Joel, God promised Israel a future in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of a plague, in the midst of something that changed their whole society. He said, you need to tell this to your children's children, but I'm going to walk with them still. You're going to tell them the stories of this, but I'm going to still be with them. And when we walk through this moment and tell kids about the cultural changes, about what COVID did to us, what everything else that happened, we can also say God was with us through that. And God is still with you today. See, our position might have shifted a little bit in that, but we get to share that further. Can I share a few examples of people who, who understand this? I have the mic, so I'm going to anyways. One of our students is the best evangelist I've ever met. She cares so much about unheard voices in the church. She challenges Marshall and I to talk to them, to care about them, to think about them in our planning. I've never had a student like that before in my years of youth ministry. I've only been a youth pastor for three years, but I've never had a student like that who's the greatest evangelist I've ever met, and I hope to be an evangelist like her one day. We have another student who cared so much about his school that he just started inviting people. He started saying, come to church. And the graduating class at South Creek was full of people this student had invited, invited. He was a senior this year. But coming to the hub on Tuesday nights was the entire middle school wrestling team from his high school because he had invited them and they looked up to him and so they started coming. He was influencing the next generation below him. Or there's this couple in our church and they're in their third third of life. And they were teaching our parenting class for a while. You may know them. But then they realized something that, that they could teach good parenting, but the divorce rate wasn't changing. 
And so broken homes were, were harder for kids to grow up in. We just have seen that statistically. And so he said, what would it look like if we started addressing the issue of marriage? And so this couple stepped back from our parenting class, and instead, they started teaching our premarital counseling. And they started saying, what would happen if our whole church had stronger marriages from the start? Those kids would grow up in homes with good parenting because the marriages weren't broken. And so they've started saying, these marriages will last far beyond us. These marriages will hopefully be here after we're dead and gone. But we want to see the next generation of young people who get married changed. We want to see them growing with God. And I don't know if you've noticed, but every camera in this room is being run by a student right now. And in the booth, up in the booth, there's someone else advancing slides who's a student. And in the back running our online audio is someone who used to be a student that somebody here has mentored, and now he's running our online audio for us. These are people that people have invested in and said, we want to see you change. Children's ministry at South Creek happens because students volunteer. Worship team at Springville happens because students volunteer. We had a student leading us in worship today on the drum set. Students are already owning their faith and transforming us around them. They're calling us to live for God. The 30 of them got baptized last week. Imagine if we started seeing the hope in them, if we started encouraging them, if we said, what if I prayed for the next generation every day? What would happen if we started saying, I want to influence this generation. Let me volunteer with student ministry at one of our campuses. What would happen if we said, I want to go volunteer at the Boys and Girls Club or at Young Life. What would happen if we said, I want to go invest in this generation. What if you just started inviting your nephew or your son or somebody else out for coffee each week and started mentoring them and investing that time in them? And students, what if you started living into the potential God has already seen in you? What if you started stepping out and serving today? What if you started saying to Adam Bat in the children's ministry, how can I help? We have students already volunteering there. What if you started saying to Marshall and myself, I'm a high schooler, how can I invest in the middle schoolers of this church? Imagine if we could be a church of hope, healing, and grace for generations to come. If we started layering our discipleship with people of every generation interacting, we have students leading our student section because we thought it was important for students to come in and worship with adults. We want to see us layering up and giving good news and discipleship and love to every single student, every single young person, every child in this church. And it takes us as a village to do that. It takes us to say, we see what's next, not just what is. We can see where God is leading us. We have hope for it. The Holy Spirit's not done with us yet. And we can go achieve that as a church. We can be a place of hope, healing, and grace for generations to come. Because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And we get to step into that as a church. You see, verse 30 and 31, people get caught up on in this passage. They say, look at the judgment of God. And, and, and yes, that's there. But the judgment of God we saw on the cross. We saw Jesus hang on that cross and die for our sins. And so we get to carry that banner forward saying, Jesus has changed everything. And now the Holy Spirit lives with those who've stepped into the forgiveness of Jesus. So as a church, we can be a church of hope, healing, and grace for generations to come. Right now, we're going to watch a video on the screen celebrating our graduates. And as you watch it, cheer for your students, celebrate your student, hoop and holler, celebrate the other students. Not all of our students are going to be on the screen, but, but celebrate them. And, and if you have a student who's not there, we're sorry, but, but celebrate them too. And after that, we're going to come out and worship, and we're going to praise God for his promises and then I'll be back up for just a few moments and we'll pray at the, end of a at the end of the service as a group, commissioning this generation 
to be the people of God that they are. So don't go anywhere, watch this video, and we'll worship together in just a moment. that. You guys are awesome, showing love for everybody in the church. That's so beautiful. All right, let's continue to sing and worship. Would you stand? what you say. 
So church, what we're about to do, I think is gonna be a very special moment and landmark moment in our church. If we could, there's students all throughout the room. Some of you brought your high school seniors with you. Some of your students are sitting next to each other. But as a church, we're gonna pray for them. And we're gonna do that collectively first through this prayer that we find in the book of Numbers. We sing it in a song called The Blessing, but it's called the Aaronic Blessing because the, the brother of Moses, Aaron, prays it. And so we're gonna pray this blessing over all the students in the room. The words will be on the screen. But then we'd like to take two minutes and pray out loud as a group. Don't worry if you're cutting over somebody. Don't worry about who else is praying. Just pray out loud for this next generation. Let's commission them. Think of your children, your grandchildren, your nieces, your nephews. Think of the people in your life that need this. So church, let's, let's look towards the seniors. Let's look for the children in the room. Let's look for the teens. And let's pray these words on the screen together. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Church, let's pray out loud for our students together. pray as a church, we pray as a community, that you would be, make us into a people, an undeniable force of hope, healing, and grace for generations to come. That we would be a people who live into your promises, who bring deliverance to dark places, who disciple people in places we don't even know yet. That you would lead us to what you have called us to. That we'd be a church that is known in the community for discipling, for caring for the next generation. That we would disciple and love them beyond what we even know. That you would do incredibly more than we can ask, think, or imagine among us. And that we would believe we're only getting started as a church. We pray this and declare it in the resurrected name of Jesus. Everybody said, amen. Church, you are sent out to be the church this week. Go and change your communities and the people around you. You are sent out.